All right, today is week three. It's the final week of our series, Wisdom of the Ages. And so I want to take some time today to just press a little farther in on this topic that we've been talking about. If you're a note taker, uh, I encourage you to to get a pen ready. If you're not a note taker, today's a good day to start. Uh, there's a bulletin insert there with blank space for you to write some things down the Lord says to you. And my heart and my conviction is that God wants to speak to you. And that's really been the emphasis of this whole series, that not just here on Sunday, but every day, God wants to speak to you. And he wants you to get so acquainted with his voice that this verse will be true of your life. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I don't know if that's true for you or not, but God wants it to be true, that it's so familiar that, that he doesn't have to announce himself, that when he speaks, you feel the prompting of the Spirit. You know it's him in your inner man. God wants you to know his voice. And here's the good news about wisdom. I'm going to give to you right up front. It's in the book of James, and I'm going to put it on the screen up here. I want you to see it. This is the good news about wisdom. It says in James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You look at that verse and go, man, that sounds simple. It took you three weeks to say that. Just ask God. If you want wisdom, just ask God. He'll give it to you. He's generous. But if you've ever gotten bad advice from somebody before, anybody ever gotten really bad advice from people before, you know then that that there is a, a, a loose... Uh, interpretation between what wisdom is. You know, some people might call it wisdom, but uh, you might call it something else. It might, in fact, be the dumbest thing that you could go and do, but somebody would call it wisdom. In fact, you probably have some people in your life that if they give you advice, you are skeptical about it just because of the source. <laughs> you know, like, you know what? I, I know the kind of advice they give. I see the kind of decisions they make. And I'm really skeptical about what they call wisdom. But if you want real wisdom, you got to know you have a reliable source. And I want you to know that the wisdom of the ages is the word of God. And the heart behind this series is the conviction that God's word is absolutely true. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's eternal. God's word, the Bible says of itself that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. And we believe that God's word is the wisdom of the ages for us. And so my hope for this whole series has been that you would be motivated to take time every day to open up the word of God and to let God, through his Holy Spirit, speak to you, counsel you, mentor you through the men and women of the Bible in your daily devotional life. Two, two weeks ago, we started with this simple admonition, get wisdom. I love the way the word of God says it in Proverbs 4, verse 7. I want to show you again. We looked at this in week one. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get wisdom understanding. Listen, wisdom does come with a price, but I want to tell you, it's a price that is worth paying. Get wisdom. Even though it costs you everything, get understanding. Because here's the reality. The pain of discipline is far less than the pain of regret. 
And when you get wisdom, you pay the price for the learning on the front end. But when you choose not to get wisdom, you go to the school of consequences and you pay the price on the back end. And it's far more than we want to pay. And so I want to encourage you, get wisdom. And God's wisdom is His Word. So last week, I gave you a very practical tool. A way that you can get wisdom every day. And and the admonition last week was to use soap. Use soap. You ever told your kids, you know, after they came in from playing, hey, did you wash your hands? Yes. And then what do you say? Did you use soap? No. You send them back. Why? Because you know that if you don't use soap, it's ineffective. And so last week, I gave you a simple outline that you can use when you're reading the Word of God. And it's S-O-A-P. You start with the S of Scripture. The O is observation. The A is application. And the P is prayer. Now, now I have in my notes to give you an example of this, but for time's sake, I'm not going to. What I want to tell you is this. In about three weeks on a Sunday night, I think it's the 19th, but I'm not looking at a calendar. We're going to take some time and I'm going to teach this soap principle and we're going to have an application of it together. But it's very simple. It's every day I wake up and, and I read my Bible reading program. I might read four different chapters from four different places in Scripture. But I ask the Holy Spirit for one verse. Say one thing to me, a nugget of truth that I can take and keep with me. I write that Scripture down. And then I observe the text. And then I ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to my life. And I write down the application. And then I express a prayer. And I I do that for my personal devotion. If you'll do that, at the end of this year, you'll have 365 little nuggets of truth that the Holy Spirit has taught you each and every day. We have to get wisdom. And it is worth the discipline of finding it. Let me ask a question this morning. So we move into this final message. Have you ever looked at somebody else and just thought, what's their secret? I mean, maybe they're at a similar stage of life as you. Maybe they have a similar job as you. Maybe you have kids, they have kids. Maybe you're single, they're single. Whatever it is, you see some similarities, but it seems like they figured it out. Like you haven't quite figured it out the way they figured it out. And you look at their life and you say, what's their secret? I mean, do they have some special facial cream that I don't know about? You know, do they get 12 hours of sleep every night? What is it? I mean, is it a, is it a diet they're on? Well, there are some people that have just so, an edge on life. And when we look at them, we're enamored by it. We go, Man, what is it about them? Well, I don't know what their secret is because I don't know what you're comparing uh, yourself to. But let me tell you, there is a secret that we can have. And interestingly enough, the Bible calls it the secret place. And I want to tell you today, if you'll take time to go to the secret place, people will look at your life and they'll wonder the same thing. What is it about them? How are they always so even keel when everybody else's emotions are going up and down? How is it that they always have joy when everybody else has panic? What is it about their life that they don't come unraveled when the wheels are coming off in my story? What is it about them that they have confidence about the future when I don't have a clue what's going on? There's a secret. And it's called... The secret place. And I want to challenge you today. In fact, I want to give you five benefits of getting into the secret place every day of your life. And again, my hope, my hope for this whole series has been that you would purposefully say, I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to hear God's word. I'm going to hear his heart from my life by being a self-feeder. 
I'm not just going to have the preacher feed me the word on Sunday or listen to somebody on the radio. I'm going to I'm going to open the word. I'm going to listen to the word. I'm going to receive the word of God for myself and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit teach me. That's my hope for you. But let me tell you why. Let me give you the motivation behind the what. The heart of it is that you and I would become spiritually strong that we would become mature, built up in our most holy faith. That's my desire, that God would speak to our life, that he would lead our lives in such a way that when the the winds come, that when the storms come against our life, that we would be built on a firm foundation. And to do that, we have to we have to create a sacred enclosure around our heart. We have to protect our inner man. And that happens in the secret place. I read a book by Wayne Cordiero who, uh, who wrote a book called The Divine Mentor. In fact, it very much inspired uh, much of this series. But I want to share something with you from his book. He said, one fine summer day in 19, or I'm sorry, in 1606, in a grove of towering sequoias, in a place that would come to be known as California. A tiny seedling poked up through the virgin soil, drawing energy from the filtered sunlight of the towering sentinels. This infant lifted its miniature arms to the light and warmth that had awakened it. A year later, as the seedling turned to a sapling, the London Company established the Jamestown Settlement in Virginia. A year after that, that sapling became a young sequoia. And an adventurer named Samuel de Champlain founded Quebec City in New France, a territory that would one day be called Canada. After three more years, when the sequoia's top was 11 feet off the forest floor, a group of scholars released an English translation of the Bible that would become known as the King James Version. In 1618, when that tree was nearly two stories tall, Europe became embroiled in a conflict that history books would later call the Thirty Years' War. As that tree continued to grow, America became a nation, fought in a civil war, joined Europe in two world war conflicts. We put a man on the moon. We suffered at the hands of terrorists in 2001. And through all of those events, spanning centuries of time, that seedling became a towering titan of the forest, soaring over 240 feet into the California sunshine. But then just a couple years ago, that tree fell. It was the first of California's sequoias to fall in many years. And so the Forest Service Authority instituted an investigation. What mysterious force could have slain the giant? What would cause such a majestic tree to fall in this way? There had been no windstorm, no fire, no flood. After further investigation, they determined that there was no uh, animal damage. There wasn't even what we might expect. Damage from insects on the inside of the tree. So park rangers and forestry experts, after examining the downed behemoth, came to a startling conclusion. 
foot traffic. Over many years, foot traffic, walking on the fragile roots of that tree, had done enough damage to topple one of these mighty, majestic sequoias of the California forest. Now, if you think about something so grand and so majestic as one of those trees falling because of foot traffic near the root system, how much more significant is it that you and I create a protective surrounding for our hearts? What they did in response to that story is they determined that they would take the oldest and the most historical trees in the forest and they would put fences around them so that people could still enjoy their beauty but not step on the root system. And that's what God calls us to do in our own hearts and in our own lives. To take our hearts and put around them a fence, a covering, something that would protect them from the foot traffic. The reality is, I know this about you because it's true about me. Every one of us, we have things in our life, whether it's relationships or internal stresses or the job. We have things that are treading upon our hearts. Some of you, you came in this morning beaten down emotionally, beaten down spiritually, feeling like, man, they better sing a good song today because I need it. We've all been there before. And the reality is, you have a tender root system. See, Solomon said it this way. Solomon said, above all else, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else. Now, if he says above all else, you ought to pay attention. He was the wisest man to ever live. Above all else, he said, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. God is calling us to create a fence, a parameter around our hearts to protect it. A sacred enclosure for your spiritual root system. And I want to tell you today what that is. It's called the secret place. It's a place that God has determined for you to come and to meet with him each and every day. So let me give you today these five benefits, the the things that the secret place is designed for. Number one, the secret place is a place of preparation. It's a place of preparation. You know, it's true of your spiritual life. It's also true of your physical life. That you were prepared in the secret place. That's what David said in Psalm 139. He was talking about what it meant to be designed and purposed in the hands of God. And here's what he said in Psalm 139, verse 15. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It's a picture. When he says I was woven together in the depths of the earth. When he says I was formed in the secret place. He's literally talking about the fact that God had a plan and a purpose and a hand in my life. When I was still in the gestation period. He's talking about life in the womb. See just two verses earlier in verse 13. He said for you God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God had a plan. And he formed you in a secret place. In creation. And in the same way God has a plan for your spirit man. The new life of Christ on the inside of you. And he wants to form you and knit into you the fabric of strength. And the purpose that he has for you in the secret place. He wants to form your life. My point is this. 
God made us in a secret place. And he wants to remake us in the secret place. You were formed by the hand of God. And you can be reformed by the hand of God. If you'll go back to the place of preparation. Here's what Isaiah said about it. Isaiah 64 and verse 8. He had a slightly different picture. It wasn't of, uh, of a child being formed in the womb. But it was about a vessel being shaped at the potter's hands. He said in Isaiah 64 and verse 8. Yet Lord you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Isaiah wasn't the only one that saw this. Jeremiah had a vision from God. God told him, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And so Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he saw him there. He was physically working at the table. He was molding and shaping a vessel. And the Bible says it was marred in his hands. And yet he just continued to work with it. He continued to shape it. He continued to mold it. And in that moment, God spoke to him. How many of you know God can speak to you through all kinds of things? He's watching a potter working at the wheel and God spoke to him. And this is what he said. He said in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 5, Then, in that moment, the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you. To find that verse in your Bible. Find that chapter. Jeremiah chapter 18. Because there's a verse that as I was looking at this. God just caused it to be illuminated off the page. And it spoke to my heart. Jeremiah chapter 18. And this is what the Lord is saying to us today. That the potter's house for us is the secret place. The potter's house is the place where you go every day to say. God I want to receive from you. God, I want to be shaped. God, I want to be molded. Lord, the, the things in my life that are marred, the things in my life that, that aren't right, that don't reflect your glory, that, that I'm not leaning in the direction you want my life to go. God, I place my life back on the potter's will. And here's the word that God spoke to me for this church. It's Jeremiah chapter 18, and it's verse number 2. I would encourage you to highlight it, underline it. Screenshot it. Make it your screensaver. Let God speak to you through this word. Here's what it says. Go down to the potter's house. And there I will give you my message. That's what God wants for you. Every day. Go to the potter's house. Go to the secret place. It's a place of preparation. If you'll go there, God will give you a word. He has a message for you. He wants to prepare you. He wants to prepare you in the morning for things you don't even know you're going to deal with in the afternoon. He wants to make you ready for the unseen. But the preparation happens in private. It happens at the potter's house. It happens in the secret place. I could go on and on through scripture and tell you about the way God prepared people in the secret place. 
Just think about Moses. He had to spend 40 years working in the wilderness for his father-in-law Jethro so that he could be prepared to go back and shepherd God's people. David spent hours and weeks out in isolation in the pastures with nothing but a song and the presence of the Lord. Why? God was preparing him to be the shepherd king. Think about Paul. God met him on the road to Damascus and he called him to the ministry, but then he sent him to Berea. Why? Because preparation happens in private. Even Jesus, when he was baptized and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says in Matthew 3, the next thing that happened is he went into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. Why? Because preparation happens in private. The secret place is the place where God wants to make you ready for whatever it is you're dealing with. God has a better plan than you living out your faith with a help me God desperate attitude. You know what that's like, right? That's that's those prayers that we pray while we're holding on to that bar on the side of our uh, vehicle. You know, when you when you grab a hold of that thing and you pray that last second prayer because you think, you know, I'm about to be in a collision. It's that prayer that you pray when you're throwing up sick. You know, it's those things that we we pray in a crisis moment. Oh, God, help me. But God has a better plan. Then crisis prayers, it's preparation and it happens in the secret place. Let me tell you the second benefit. The secret place is a place of provision. Provision. Here's what the word says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, this is a a word that I've I've shared I think every week in this series. And I want to share it again because I want you to see the pattern of what's happening right now. And by the way, this is the pattern that happens almost every Sunday. I share a principle with you, and then I take you back to the Scripture, and I tell you a story, and I tell you how it worked out. Let me tell you why I do that. The reason why I do that is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, These things happened to them as examples. And were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. The secret place is a place of provision. God has put these stories here in the word of God. He's preserved it for you and I as an example. So when I open up the word of God and I read how they handle those situations, God is preparing me. He's providing for me the information, the wisdom, the foresight that I need to face what's coming in my life. For example, examples that they lived out for us. Think about the children of Israel. They were in bondage for 400 years to Egyptian taskmasters. So the people that were alive in the 400th year were not alive when it started. In other words, all they knew was slavery. All they knew was bondage. But yet they cried out to God, right? You remember the story. They cried out to God for a deliverer. And God miraculously made a way that a deliverer could be born even from within their people and could raise up and set them free. His name was Moses. We remember that story, right? He's an example for us. Who all of us, we were born in captivity. Not to some Egyptian taskmaster, but the Bible says we're enslaved to our own sinful desires. The reality is, none of us knew freedom. We were born in slavery. And yet, God heard our cry. And we said, God, I need a deliverer. And he miraculously raised up a deliverer from within the human race. His name is Jesus, and he came to set his people free. 
That's an example that was set for us in the Old Testament. Aren't you, aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that all of the promises of God's word point to the provision who is in the person of Jesus Christ? The secret place is a place of provision. It's a place where God gives us what we need to know. In the same way that that story is an example of how God provides for us and how God hears our cry, God also gives us an example of how we should get wisdom out of the story of the children of Israel. How should we get this wisdom that we need? Go with me to Exodus chapter 16. Old Testament, second book. Exodus chapter 16. Here's a story of of the Israelites now that they have found freedom. For the first time, this generation of people are no longer in bondage. For the first time, these people are experiencing freedom. They don't have taskmasters over them any longer. But they realize for the first time that freedom comes with a price. Freedom comes with expectations. And they realize for the first time there's a difference between being set free and staying free. Now, listen carefully. If you've ever been in a situation, maybe you're in this place today, where you realize there's a difference between being set free and staying free. Maybe you prayed and you said, God, help me. God, deliver me from this. God, set me free. And he did, and you felt it, and you knew it. But now you left that altar, you left that experience, and you realized there's a difference between being set free and staying free. That's what they had to learn. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 16, look at verse 2 and 3. It says, in the desert, now these are free people. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Here's the reality. These people were slaves. They were being beaten. They were being worked hard. But God delivered them. They cried out and said, God, get us out of this situation. He heard their cry. He delivered them. Pretty soon they realized, you know what? Those, those taskmasters, they beat our backs, but they also filled our bellies. And freedom's hard. And they were ready to go back to bondage. And maybe you've been in that place where you realize, man, freedom's hard. If you're not careful, you can actually be enticed to go back to the same thing that enslaved you in the past. Here's an example. What do I do, pastor? What do I do? Look at the next verse. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Now that's underlined in my Bible. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. You remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Many of you could quote the prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. Say, give us this day our daily 
bread. That's exactly what God said he was going to do for the Israelites in Exodus. He said, I'm going to give you bread every day. I'm going to take care of you. Don't be tempted to go back to your old life. Yes, discipline is painful, but it's far less painful than regret. So here's what you've got to do. I'm going to give you fresh bread, but you've got to go out and you've got to get enough for each day. Can I challenge you? Son of God, daughter of God, don't leave the manna in the field. Don't leave the blessing. God's provision is for you. Every day, bread is coming down from heaven. God said, I will send bread. Every day, I'll feed you. But you got to go and get it. You got to go and collect it. You got you to gotta feed yourself on what he's providing. See, the secret place is God's place of provision. It's the place where God meets us and gives us what we need. And I want to just tell you, because I've seen it too many times, if you don't go and collect today's portion, you may find yourself looking back on slavery, looking back on bondage, looking back on sin and on shame and all the stuff that you asked Jesus to save you from, you may be looking back on that and saying, it was better when. And you know it's not true. But freedom demands something of us. And we have a good God. And he's raining down bread from heaven every day. It's the wisdom of the ages. And it's right here in the pages of this book. But you've got to go out and you've got to get the bread every day. The secret place is a place of preparation. It's a place of provision. But thirdly, it's also a place of pruning. Let me tell you what Jesus said about that in John 15. The first two verses, Jesus said, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. A place of pruning. Now, I know that's not as exciting as provision and preparation, so I probably already missed my chance on amens with some of you. But listen, here's the good news. The reality is every branch gets cut. Did you, did you read what, what I just read to you? The, the ones that bear no fruit, they get cut. But the ones that are fruitful, they get cut too. So that they can become more fruitful. But the blessing is that God wants to prune you in the secret place. Not the public place. God doesn't want to shame you. God doesn't want to embarrass you. God wants you to come away with him so that he can work in your heart and in your life. That's the kindness of the Lord, that he invites you to come and to be pruned in a secret place. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. And you, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as... A father addresses his son. It says this, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Listen, God is a good father. He would much rather prune you in the private place than discipline you in public. The Bible says this 
Jesus, or God said rather to Jesus in Matthew 3, while Jesus was coming up out of the waters of baptism, the Bible says that, that God spoke from heaven in that moment and said, this is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Now I know that's something every son wants to hear from their father. And don't you know that pleased the heart of Jesus to hear his father from heaven speak out loud and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But the reality is, it wasn't just Jesus who he did it for. I want you to see that that pleased the heart of God to be able to say that. For God to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the heart of God. That's what he wants to say about all of his children. This is my daughter. I'm pleased with her. Let me just quickly call your attention back to the story of David. David was a man who the Bible describes as having a heart after God. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David got his priorities messed up. In fact, the Bible says it was in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to war, that David stayed home. And many of you know the story, but because David got his priorities out of alignment, he opened himself up to a temptation. And the enemy inserted himself, and David fell into the sin of lust, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And as the, the, the snowball of sin began to roll down the hill, it just got bigger and bigger. Rather than going back to the secret place and letting God prune him and deal with him and correct him, David continued to try to cover up the story. He had Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, murdered. He found out that she was pregnant and when he couldn't cover it up, he just had him murdered and he took her to be his own wife. And then when the child was finally born, the child got sick and the child died. And all of this is happening while David is trying to cover up his sin. He had so many opportunities to come clean with God. So many opportunities to repent, to say, I'm sorry. But here is the danger. Here's the danger for all of us. Finally, because he was unrepentant, the Bible says that God sent the prophet Nathan to show up to David. And he told him a story about a man who had, who had taken something that wasn't his. And he said, David, what do you think ought to happen to this man? And David said, that man ought to be punished. And then the prophet looked at him and he said, David, you're the man. You're the man. And in that very moment, Because of his continued avoidance of the secret place, David's sin became Nathan's sermon. Don't let your sin become my sermon. Go to the secret place. It's the place of pruning. It's the place where the Holy Spirit can lovingly and gently call you back to himself and deal with you about the things that you don't want to be dealt with about. But if we avoid that place... God will get our attention. He will get us back to the place of understanding the weight and the heaviness of sin. David learned the hard way. But you don't have to. We have the wisdom of the ages. David later wrote this in Psalm 51, verse 10. In 11, he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David learned the hard way and then he finally, finally humbled himself. He said, God, I don't want to lose your presence. And that's what I'm appealing to you today. The secret place, the place where God's presence builds a fence around the the fragile roots of your heart. It's that place where the Holy Spirit can speak to you and deal with you and, and prune those areas of your life that need to be adjusted. Fourthly, the secret place is a place of persistence. I'll just touch on this quickly. It's a place of persistence in prayer. That's what Jesus called the secret place. He said it's a place of prayer. It's a place where we meet with God. In fact, if you have uh, your Bibles there, you may want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus describes the secret place. I read this verse to you earlier, but I'm going to emphasize something from it again. But as you're turning to Matthew 5, let me tell you a quick story out of the Old Testament, an example for us. The Bible says that in 2 Kings chapter 13, the king of Israel was facing an attack from an enemy army. Aram was coming against them. And the king called for the prophet. The Bible says that they went and they met together in the prophet's chamber. The secret place. The potter's house. The prophet's chamber. They got away from everybody else. And he spoke with the prophet. Who in the Old Testament represented God's voice to the people. He couldn't open a Bible and read it at that point. But he could talk to a prophet. The Bible says that the king there met with the prophet. And here's the word the prophet gave him. In 2 Kings chapter 13. In verse 18. Then he said. Take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck three times, and he stopped. He took the arrows from the quiver, and he struck the ground three times, and he stopped. But verse 19 says, the man of God was angry. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat it three times. This is a picture in the Old Testament of a man who's in a crisis situation. He says, I got an enemy that's coming against me and and I need victory. I need victory. And so he goes to get the word of God and the prophet says, strike the arrows. Man, if he told me that, strike these arrows, I would have beat those things until they were nothing but a bunch of toothpicks. The Bible says what the king did is he just tapped them three times. The secret place is a place of persistence in prayer. And the word of the Lord said, you didn't persist. You just just tapped it three times. And because you only did that, you're only going to defeat this enemy three times. What you should have done is you should have beat those arrows into splinters. Just think for a minute, church, what would happen if when you went into the secret place to pray about the battles that you're facing or those you're fighting for somebody else's benefit, what would happen if you would persist in prayer and beat the enemy back to a pile of splinters? God responds to persistence in prayer. And that's what Jesus said the secret place is for. He said, when you go, Matthew 5, 
But when you pray. Verse six. When you pray. I'm sorry, chapter six, verse five. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Let me tell you. What the fifth benefit is, the secret place is a place of promotion. It's a place of promotion. Verse 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. God wants to reward you for what you do in the secret place. The secret place is a place of promotion. I wish we had time this morning to go back and and look at the story in the book of Esther. How many of you remember her story? God used this incredible woman to deliver his people, but she had a cousin named Mordecai who has an interesting part in the story. The reality is of Mordecai, he was a man who did his work in the secret place. And here's what we learn out of that story. We don't have time to go and read it today. But while while Mordecai was serving faithfully in the secret place, the Bible says there was another man who had the ear of the king named Haman. And Haman was jockeying for position. Haman, Haman was looking for promotion. He was trying to get ahead. He was trying to get his name out there. And he was so busy trying to build up his own name. Here's what we learn about Haman and Mordecai. That if you spend all of your time trying to get your name recognized in the public place, you're probably going to end up leading the parade for somebody else's honor. Because the day came where the king recognized the work that Mordecai had been doing. And he wanted to promote him. He wanted to honor him. And so he asked Haman, he said, what should be done? For the kind of person who honors the king. And Haman thought he was planning his own party. He said, man, you ought to put him on a white horse. You ought to send a parade of delegates out in front of him. Announcing who he is and what he's done. And after he's planned his own party, the king turns around and says, Haman, that's what I want to be done for Mordecai. And I want you to be that guy out front announcing how great Mordecai is. Reality is, if you will do the will of God and you'll seek him in the secret place, God will reward you in the public place. Honor, promotion, reward, recognition. Those things, they're better when they come from God. Here's the truth. What you do in the public place will never take you as far as seeking God in the private place will. When you seek God, When you humble yourself before the Lord, the Bible says He will lift you up. One of my mentors and a great pastor in North Texas says it this way. Your public life is what it is because your private life is what it is. And that's true. People look at you and say, what's the secret? 
What's the secret? It's the secret place. How, how do you handle? How do you handle the stress? It's the secret place. How do you deal with the uncertainties? How do you deal with the prolonged sickness? How do you deal with the wayward children? How do you deal with the financial struggle? I've been to the secret place. I've been to the potter's house. I've been in the prophet's chamber. It's a place where God prepares me. It's a place where God wants to promote me. It's a place where God wants to provide for me. Yes, it is a place where God prunes me, but it's for fruitfulness. To make me more fruitful. And it's a place of persistence. I'm going to be there again tomorrow. How about you? It's a place where I keep going back. And letting God build a fence of protection around the fragile root system of my heart. Above all else, guard your heart. You are who you are in the public place. Because you are who you are in the secret place. I want to ask you to bow your head with me all over this room. I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you that you're speaking to our hearts for more than just a moment. God, I sense you're speaking to our hearts about the bigger issues, the pattern of our lives. And this moment is not just about responding to something that I could say, but God, it's about responding to the thing that you've been saying for days, for weeks, some of us for years. Every day, your manna, it falls in the fields and God, we leave it there to rot. And some of us even, we look longingly at our past. We look at other people who are still in bondage. They don't know freedom and yet we would look at them and some of us would even say it's better. And it's not better. It's a trap from the enemy. But we haven't gone out and gathered today what you've provided for us. So God, I pray that each and every one of us, myself included, would hear your heart to open up your word, to meet with you in the secret place, to receive the wisdom of the ages, to sit with these divine mentors that you've given us, to receive all that you want to provide for us, all that you want to give us in the counsel of your word. God, thank you so much. Thank you for Thank you for desiring to meet with us. God, I pray that this week, each and every one of us would find a renewed satisfaction in your presence. Whether it's early in the morning, in the middle of the day, or late at night, that God, we would anticipate that moment that we can just pull away from the noise. Do what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Close the door and meet with the Father in secret. God, I pray that each of us would leave today with a hunger for that. A desire to meet with you. To have the Holy Spirit be our counselor. What an invitation. What an offer. What an offer.